0: The city Give hey everybody, it is great to be able to be with you all. This is our fourth and final installment of our sermon series entitled Bro, where we have been focusing on the brothers by looking at the story of the life of David and by looking at David's story and the complexities of David's life. Um, I have been hoping that I have been enabling men to see themselves, uh, to see themselves as loved by God, even though they are as complex of creatures as David was. And so this week we are doing the final installment and we are talking about David, the wrong. So we've talked about David, the warrior. We've talked about David, the wounded. We have talked about David, the worshiper. And again, now this week we're talking about David, the wrong. I want to uh, look at a story in the life of David. Um, it is pretty well known. It is the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, let's jump into a, a word of prayer and then we'll read our scripture for today. <clears throat> Father in Jesus name, we thank you for giving us a chance to, uh, to come together to hear your word. I pray that you will preach through me to these, your people uh, in a way that is impactful to them, that is real, that is relevant, um, that brings life from your word. I pray in Jesus' name um, that we will be able to have um, an intimate and thoughtful conversation. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Let's look at, um, let's look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, we're gonna start reading from the first verse. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we'll start reading from the first verse. If you missed any of the previous sermons, uh, go to our YouTube channel and you can there find all of our uh, previous sermons that were part of this series. Um, Let's jump into it. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the, the Ammonites and besieged Rabbi. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman and one said is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam the wife of Uriah the Hittite so David sent messenger messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her and she had been purifying herself during this time then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David I am pregnant let's jump down to verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter. This is after David has concocted the scheme to bring her husband back from the battle, uh, from the war. He's trying to bring her husband home, get him drunk, have him go home, sleep with Bathsheba so he can think the baby is his. Uriah does not go along with it. He refuses to go home, even though David showed him a good time and got him drunk. And Uriah instead decides he is going to sleep outside at the doorstep of the palace rather than go home because he says, I can't go home and sleep with my wife and my comrades are sleeping in the open field in war. So this is the next morning. Verse 14, in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, <clears throat> and some of the servants of David among the, among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Jump down to verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased The Lord displeased the Lord. In life, most scandals are about one of three things they are about money, they are about power, or sex. For David, it was about the latter. You see, it all started one evening when David made his way to the rooftop of his palace. And perched in just the right spot, his eyes had access to a sight that perhaps he would never forget. It was a beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba. And when David spotted her, she was not hanging clothes on the line to dry. No, she was not placing potted plants on the front porch. But what David sees is this beautiful woman bathing. That's really how temptation happens, isn't it? It all starts with just a glance. There is something about the lure, brothers, of the forbidden. It always looks more appealing when you shouldn't have it or shouldn't do it. Uh, No doubt David, uh, the king, had a situation set up where his palace was not absent of its share of beautiful women who called themselves his wife or who called themselves his concubine. But the sinful nature The flesh tempts us to see as more attractive, not that which is for us, but that which is for somebody else. Uh, The course of events that would follow would begin with just a look, but would end with lying, with lust, with adultery, with what you could argue is rape, with deception and murder. It started out with just a look. It ended up being a full fledged scandal. Uh, But before you all get too sanctimonious brothers, many of you that are listening have been caught up at one point or another in your life in a scandal. Uh, In a situation that was wrong, but you participated as though it was right. And I think it's a good time for me to level the playing field and establish that all scandals did not happen pre-Christ in our lives. But what David's story lays out for us today is that you can be in a relationship with God and still be susceptible to foolish decisions, to sinful decisions, to entrapment within the web of sin. Scandal. I may be talking to some people actually right now who in this very moment are caught up in a scandal. So for the sake of this sermon, let me just say that, say what a scandal is, right? A scandal is effectively anything that offends propriety, anything that goes against what we understand as established moral code. We know it as a scandal. It is essentially what David did for after David sees this woman, he decides that he has to have this woman. As one scholar puts it, the lure of the beautiful leads to ugly behavior in the sight of God. And so David does this deed. And then afterward, uh, Bathsheba goes home and Bathsheba later on discovers that she is pregnant and she sends word back to David, and David begins concocting David's scheme. What will David do? How will David cover up his tracks? What David decides to do is to send for her husband, Uriah, to come home from the battle lines, because surely if he comes home, he can get him to sleep with his wife, and if he sleeps with his wife, everything will be well, because after sleeping with his wife, then he'll think that the baby was his. And so David concocts the scheme. He tells Joab, I want you to send Uriah back. I want you to send Uriah back from the war. And so Uriah comes back. David sends for him. Uriah is in the palace in the evening. And then from there, David, David decides that he is going to keep on pouring the drinks. He keeps on pouring the drinks until Uriah has gotten fully drunk. And then he sends Uriah off and and tells him to to have a good evening. And he expects that Uriah is going to go home and sleep with his wife Bathsheba. And David's plan will have fully worked out. But the next morning, what David discovers is that right on the doorstep to the palace is old faithful Uriah. And here's what Uriah says is the reason that he did not go home. Uriah says, the men, my comrades in arms, were last night sleeping out in an open field trying to protect their lives. That there is no way that I could go home and sleep in my own bed. That is how much integrity that Uriah has. So David's scheme does not work, right? And David should have known better. He should have left it right there. But David decides to take it to another level. That's the problem with scandals is 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 one misdeed, right? David committing adultery by taking a wife who was committed to someone else. David committing this sin of leveraging his power wrongly to make this woman come to the palace to sleep with him has now made David concoct this plan to to make this man father a child that wasn't his. And now since that doesn't work out, David now takes it to a whole nother level. That is what scandal does to us. So what does David do? David concocts a new scheme. And so he decides to write a letter and sent it by way of Uriah to Joab, the general on the battle line. And in this letter, he says, put Uriah on the front lines where the fiercest fighting is happening. And then just as the fighting gets fierce, half people draw back. He is trying to for sure have Uriah killed. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, David thinks that everything is, is good when he finds out that Uriah uh, has been killed and, and, and word gets back to Bathsheba that Uriah, has, her husband, has been killed. And the Bible says that after her time of mourning, after her time of mourning, David sends for her to come and live in the palace and he makes her his wife. It seems like everything is good until... God decides to send this prophet. He, he sends the prophet Nathan and the prophet Nathan comes to see David and the prophet Nathan says. Ah, let, let me tell you, let me tell you a little story about what's happening, O king. He, he says that, that there's this one man that had like like hundreds of lambs, hundreds of sheep, all the sheep he could want. And then there was this poor man that only had one little Lamb. That's all he had. But, but the man that had all the lamb, that had all the sheep, decided to take the sheep, the lamb, of the one that only had one. He says, King, I, I don't I don't know what to do. What, what, what should happen to the man that took the sheep of the one man? David says he should be killed, and everything he has taken from him. Naaman says to him, oh man, king, you are the man. It is there that David uh, realizes that that, uh, Nathan has uh, put, put together, the prophet Nathan has put together a story, a parable to show David himself and that God has sent Nathan there to show David himself so that David can be contrite about what has happened. Contrition indeed. David does experience. I want to say, just pause for a moment and ask the question to the brothers, if that has ever happened to you, where you were wagging the finger at somebody else, the way that David was to the man in this story that took the one lamb and he had all the sheep and David is like, he should be killed and everything that he has should be taken away. Have you ever been there where you were the one that were finger wagging at somebody else, and the Holy Spirit simply said to you, I am showing you yourself. Question is: what do we do when we get caught up in these kinds of scandals? Well, what do we do when we are as deep as David is? Well we are not on the first sin of the series, but we are on the fifth. Sixth sin of the series. For David, it started out by him abusing his power, sending for the woman, some other man's wife, sending for that woman to come and she could not say no to the king. First sin. Second sin was adultery. Second. Third was the scheme that he concocted to try to make Uriah father somebody else's child unbeknownst to him. That's number three. Fourth is when he murdered Uriah. Fifth. He takes Uriah's wife to become his wife. He's deep in it. My brothers, what do you do when you are deep in the scandal? What do you do when you are like David? You are deep in the wrong. Let me tell you what some of you do, brothers. Let me tell you what some of us do. This is us standing in this together. What some of us do is we stand on our wrong. And we somehow in our minds believe that by standing on our wrong, by doubling down and seeking to justify our wrong, that it makes our wrong right. My dude, you cannot change the morality of God just because you are sincere in your wrong. What God has declared is right, what God has declared is righteous is what is right and what is righteous, regardless of whether we want to follow it or not, regardless of whether we want to be contrite or not. My question is, what do you do when you are caught red handed in a scandal? Because I'm talking to some brothers right now that are standing in scandals, that are standing in mess that we have created. I want to give you encouragement from David's story about what we ought to do with that. It cannot be found in first in, excuse me, in second Samuel. But you actually got to go over to what I would consider to be like David's journal in the Psalms. You see, David is the writer of many of the Psalms, and many of the Psalms can be attached to situations in the life of David. He took out pen and parchment and would just write. He would write poetry. He would write songs in that moment. David, the musician, says this, Psalm 51. This is what David does when he realizes that he is caught In in this scandal. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, surely sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach you teach me wisdom in the inmost places. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Created me a pure heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise it. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What does David do when he is caught up in the scandal and it has become clear to him that God sees him? What does David do? He repents. He is contrite. Brothers, this is something that I love about David. What I love about David is that in him I can see me. An imperfect dude. Somebody that despite that that has the complexities that despite trying to get many things right sometimes get them wrong and and let me say to you that that there are many brothers who find themselves um staying away from church because they're like i i I don't want to be in church and be a hypocrite or or staying away running away from god because in your mind like god has no grace god has no forgiveness what i love about the story of david is it shows this character of a man after God's own heart who messes up and it shows us that God does not judge us by our perfection, but he judges us based on our contrition. So I say to you brothers, that just as you do wrong and I have done wrong, David has done wrong too. That that just as you get caught in scandals and I have been caught in scandals, that David himself finds himself in a scandal. But, But what makes us different and what our families and what our communities are waiting for is just for us to be as contrite as David to say I'm sorry. I was wrong. Men men that there are there are children that are hurting that are now adults and what continues to break their hearts, what continues to impact their ability to have meaningful relationships now is that you never went back to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times that I told you I was going to buy you a bike and I didn't. I'm sorry for the times when I told you I was going to come pick you up and we were going to spend time together and I didn't. I'm sorry for the times that you saw me beating on your mama. I'm sorry that I left the family to fend for itself. I am sorry. But brother, there are some women whose hearts we have left in our wake while we were doing our thing, while we were playing the field who are now still challenged to build relationships, to trust again, to love again, because we never went back to just say, I'm sorry. For me, that is the definition of a man. It is not, manhood is not simply steeped in what you are willing to do and stand on. It is also, it can also be found in our willingness to be contrite to ask for forgiveness. Because that takes vulnerability. That, that takes us saying that I, I, I'm not always right. I, I try to get it right, but I'm not always right. And it takes a big man to do that. Brothers, I, I my hope, my prayer is that through this series, that you have seen yourself in David the warrior. That you have seen yourself as being able to be liberated, to be simultaneously a a warrior and a worshiper, that you have seen yourself when we saw David as one that has been wounded. But I'm hoping that finally today we can see ourselves in David as the one that was wrong, but the one that could be contrite. That's my challenge to you. And I will not, I, I will never be your pastor and not challenge you in that way. Because these are the things, these are the standards that God is calling us to. And I believe in you, brothers. I I know that we can be, be good at this, of the contrition. And God bless the brothers who are there, who are contrite, who have said those tough words, who have done what is tough for me and I know is tough for you, the swallowing of the pride to say, I'm sorry. I messed up. I need forgiveness. You may never forgive me, but I'm sorry.